Any regular concert goers will tell you that nothing comes close to the sensation of seeing a band perform live. The excitement in the air, the thrill of seeing your favorite band in the flesh, and the sheer dopamine rush of hearing music performed by real human beings. Nothing can beat it. So why do concert films exist? Maybe true that nothing will ever compare to being in the same arena as Taylor Swift during her Eras tour, or to being at the Hammersmith Odeon in 1973 when David Bowie announced it would be his final performance as Ziggy Stardust. But maybe it doesn't have to be all or nothing. In the right hands, a concert film can serve as more than just documentation of a cultural event. It can become a celebrated piece of media itself, capturing a piece of the magic of a single performance, or more accurately stitching together the best of several different performances, and transforming it into a unique experience that, unlike the memories of even the most sharp concert goers, will not fade over time. In 1983, Talking Heads put their concert film into the right hands, those of director Jonathan Demme. Demi would go on to direct 1991's The Silence of the Lambs, but at this time, he was wrapping up work on a significantly less beloved film, 1984's Swing Shift. Unfortunately for Demi, the shows he was meant to direct for Talking Heads at Hollywood's Pantages Theater fell on the same dates he was meant to oversee shoots for Swing Shift, which had just had a slew of new scenes written for it at the request of star Goldie Hawn. So, Demi spent his days shooting Swing Shift and his nights shooting Talking Heads. Putting together a solid concert film under these demanding work conditions would have been more than commendable, but Demi and Talking Heads managed to knock out what has been lauded as the greatest concert film of all time. So great, in fact, that the film was released to theaters again in 2023 by film company A24. That's right, we're putting on our comically large suits and reviewing Talking Heads concert film, Stop Making Sense, on Cover Me. Stop making sense. That's right, it's Cover Me, the only podcast that usually compares famous songs to their many cover versions to find out which one is best. But this week we're talking concert videos, specifically, Stop Making Sense. I'm your host, as always, The Snake, joined by my sensible co-host... Alex Mildenberger. Alex Mildenberger, a very sensible introduction. Sensibly. How are Sensibly yours, Alex How am I? <laughs> sensible. No, I'm doing, I'm doing pretty good. I saw this movie, so it was pretty cool. You saw this movie, Alex. Let's let's not waste time. Let's talk Talking Heads. This movie's famous. It's a famous concert film. Yeah, it's it's a big one. I mean, there's concert films are a bit of a, a weird thing because I feel like they were maybe popular for a while and then not haven't really been lately. But maybe they are, and I just don't hear about them. Yeah, the last Until big one I can think of is like the Eagles' Hell Freezes Over tour. Like, my dad had that on DVD. True, that's definitely... My dad had a few concert films on DVD. I feel like they're definitely... Like, they... There's movies like this one, where Mm -hmm. I would say anyone should check it out. Right. And then there's ones like... I had... Or maybe my dad... No, I had... Was given, for reasons... That I won't get into. Um, uh, uh, later days, Steve Miller Band live concert film. Uh, that like seems even, very niche. Yeah. Yeah, which I would not say is for anyone. It's definitely right. for Steve Miller Band fans. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some of the Rush ones. There's a couple, and I feel like they kind of ride the line a little bit, but they're definitely more fan focused. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, like concert films I've watched are basically Stop Making Sense and the David Bowie's final performance as Ziggy Stardust at the, the Hammersmith Odeon, 1973. Which is pretty cool. I haven't actually seen that one, uh, but I've seen uh, bits of it. Yeah, and it's, it's a great cool show. show. 
Um, and like, yeah, what yeah. those two have in common is a lot of like theatrics beyond just the the music. And with the David Bowie, when you get some behind the scenes stuff, him and him getting his makeup put on, you get the people screaming outside and shit. So it's a little more filmic in that sense than it is simply like a an audio visual transcription of a concert. Yeah, and I think th- those ones are maybe a little more broadly appealing. Mm-hmm. Even though, I don't know, and it's hard to say where the line is drawn, because that one is a little more documentary. Um, but it does seem like there's a, there's a difference between we're making a something like, like something that I would classify Stop Making Sense as, where it's like, it feels very filmic, even though it's not, like, there's not other stuff around it. It feels like they're making yeah. a film and they're trying to make presentation interesting to something that you could show in a theater, versus just a recording of one of their concerts. Absolutely. And that's um, part of that is, uh, of course, David Byrne, who I think is credited with like creating the show, as it were, like planning it. And then the uh, the director on this is Jonathan Demi, who, uh, among many other concert films, is also done things like Silence of the Lamps, which <laughs> yeah. the director of. Which is very interesting. Mm-hmm. And so he he directed this at the same time he was directing a film Swing Shift, which is one of his earlier ones. And he talked on a, on a in some interview about the process. And one of the things he mentioned was that like we didn't shoot the audience, and he's like, I tried to get more shots of them on the first night, but we had to light the audience more to get those shots, and that made the audience uncomfortable, which in turn made the band like insecure because the band the audience didn't feel good, so the band didn't feel good. Yeah, he's like, and so. <laughs> I am single-handedly responsible for the worst Talking Heads performance in the history of the band's career. <laughs> that's that's part fun. of the reason yeah. you only get like audience shots like near the end of this movie, but like that focus also gives you a much more like a higher emphasis on what's on stage, right? Yeah, which definitely uh, the film has, and it's more about kind of the performance and less about like the the room. Hmm. Although you do see it later. Although I do think it's very interesting because the way they end up doing it, because it is so focused on that um, for most of it, and then you get these like little snippets of audience kind of, like the camera yeah. will pull back. At, at the start of it, you don't see the audience at all for the first couple numbers. Mm-hmm. You know? Like they... It's pulled in uh, pretty close, the camera. Yeah. Um, and then it kind of pulls back but like later on it's a bit darker um and then later at the end you get points where the camera kind of almost turns around almost does a full 180 i don't think it does a full 180 but it's close yeah and you Um, do get like actual shots of the audience like in the final song yeah like in the closing song they're like hey here's some shots of the audience uh which is kind of a cool way that the film kind of progresses visually Mm -hmm. it's Uh, yeah there is like ideas of progression in this concert film yeah even if it's not like there's not like a story or a documentarian aspect to it there are like storytelling ideas in there that structure some like rise and fall of action but before we get too deep into the film itself alex you're, you're you're mostly familiar with stop making sense just as the live album right yeah i got the the cd out of the library <laughs> a number of years ago, probably at least a decade ago. Mm-hmm. And that was my first introduction to it. My first introduction to a lot of talking heads was CDs from the library. Um, right. And 
Yeah, I think I I was into it pretty pretty immediately. Like I really like all the versions of the songs on this. Mm. Um I don't even know some of the originals very well. Yeah, um, 100%. Yeah. That's the same for me. There's uh I think yeah, a lot of the takes on songs that I do know are very cool. And then the ones that I don't know just sound great. It's a very high energy album. Yeah, it's it's wild. It's like just incredible versions of like so really good songs, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But it's also like the time it comes in in the in the career of Talking Heads. Yeah, um, they already have one live album. This is kind of their second one, but this is like the height of Talking Heads. You know. Right. I think a lot of, like, they had some decent songs after this, but, like, this was shortly after um, Speaking in Tongues, mm-hmm. uh, which is their first, like, really, really successful album. And also, I mean, the last couple albums are kind of considered their artistic peak. Obviously, that's open to interpretation, open to opinion. Um, but afterwards, the vibe changed a lot because this stuff can be very dense, um, very, like, groovy funky um and the next two albums were very different from that you get your uh true stories which is like a, uh, from a movie that david byrne made it's a lot right and then uh the other one little creatures i think maybe not in that order uh but they're little creatures is oh yeah they're like the same year looking at this yeah they're much less they're not like this stuff they're they're quite different um mm-hmm. so it's interesting that that this was made at like exactly the right time kind of for the band. <laughs> right. Just at this kind of like big turning point Their their biggest hit at this point or their newest hit is burning down the house, which is like just come out and they're, yeah, they're kind of like at a very like pivotal point. Coincidentally, mm-hmm. it's yeah, it's crazy. It's a very like, it's a very cool album. And to finally see like, cause something like obviously the big suit, everybody knows the big suit. Everyone knows the big suit. I've known the big suit for years. Known about I, it. Like, I finally got to see it. I've in seen motion. it parodied like a hundred times. I finally got to see it in motion and understand the big suit. I know. And like, cause he, he wears a suit kind of throughout or he puts mm-hmm. the jacket back on a couple times, but it's just normal or maybe a, a bit large, but not like massive uh, at yeah. first. And then, um, I was like, yeah, I guess the suit's kind of big. I don't know what all the jokes are about, though. And then he gets a big suit on. It's and then, silly. yeah, it's because you even see in the credits, it says the big suit built. Yeah. By, uh, fuck, what's the name? The big suit was built. Yes. Um, good Lord, what is her fucking name? Gail something, maybe? Shit. Yeah, but it was like a specific credit. Gail Blacker, yes. Yeah. Who called the suit, quote, more of an architectural project than a clothing project. <laughs> yeah, it probably needs like a frame and stuff. Yeah, so she lined the garment with needlepoint canvas to help it remain stiff and angular. It's a, it's a bizarre piece of work, uh, much like David Byrne himself. <laughs> and yeah, so to see that and finally be like, well, now I understand pop culture is like was a, a rewarding moment. Um, this was released this year, I guess, cause we're nearing the, the 20th anniversary of it. 
Or the fortieth anniversary. Fortieth, my bad. I know how time um, works. Yeah, we're, I think that's it's the fortieth anniversary release. Yes. Which, yeah, I guess is next year, not technically this year, but maybe that's the fortieth anniversary. When did they record it? They recorded December nineteen eighty three. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. So we're approaching that. It was shot over four nights at the Hollywood Pantages Theater. Um, yeah, you talked about the costume. He's wearing these suits. So everybody was asked to wear very like neutral clothing just to assist with like lighting, making sure it didn't catch anything. Right. And then Chris France, apparently his laundry like just didn't come on time. So he had to commit to for four nights wearing the same turquoise polo shirt. Yeah, I think it looks fine. Yeah. Um, it's fine, it but really, it is, it's not like it's that loud. It's just a little more colorful. Yeah. And he's behind a drum kit, so you don't like see him too much. Yeah. But it is like noticeable when he comes out. You're like, he's dressed a little differently. It's a little than different, everyone. yeah. It's <laughs> just like a little bit. But I do like, I mean, like the casual, the idea of just like this casual guy in the background who's drumming. I don't yeah. know. There's something about him. Like, you got this whole band in the front, and then the one guy who's like, ah, I'm covered up by drums. What does it matter? Exactly. Um, he's like, yeah, I'll just wear whatever. Like, Again, also, back in like 2011, we saw Nazareth, um, mm-hmm. and their drummer just looked like a just some dude. He just had like shorts on and was drumming. Yeah, he was just there to. Like, yeah, like yeah, I wear active wear basically. Yeah, <laughs> it was that was fun. Yeah, a fun little bit, and it's so weird because there are like several costume changes in this, not just for uh, David Byrne, but for like the backing singers and. They're all very, it's like changed from one neutral plane thing to another one. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah, you hardly Why even notice. Need that? But you there's a lot, there's, I mean, there's a lot of lighting going on. Yes, this is true. Tons um, and tons of lighting. Yeah, I mean, how do you want to talk? You want to talk about like the overall structure and then we can talk about some of the specific songs? Maybe? I think it is important to talk about the structure from the start with Psycho Killer to the sort of like, like climax of this building a band mini plot as yeah, it were kind of with burning start. down the house which is a cool build mhm so it's done over a course of seven songs with burning down the house being the final one um and again it speaks to this idea that you talked about where it's like you don't even really know it's a concert at the start cuz it's like the stage lighting is just like house lights on it's just like yeah, if you were to come in here on any day of the week and you just see there's no curtains or anything up that you see full back through this stage space yeah it looks like a rehearsal kind of yeah uh, and they're just like in the process of setting things up Mm-hmm. and david byrne comes out with a suit on he's got a acoustic guitar and this filthy trick he plays on the audience <laughs> Filthy trick. This fucking bastard. He fooled me. He takes, he has a boombox with him. He's like, I brought a boombox to help me with this and pretends to play it. But what's actually happening yeah. is there's a, a Roland TR-808 drum machine playing from a mixing board. Yeah, which like, that. yeah, it makes sense. Cause like, honestly, if you listen to it, it's like, that's the best sounding tape anyone's ever made. Yeah, you're like coming out of this tiny boombox that's gonna reach a whole theater. That like, of does people. he even put a microphone by it? Like, no, he just plops it down. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So I mean, it's fun though because I've I've only heard it right. So he says, "Hi, mm-hmm. I got a tape. I want to play for you." And then like you hear the click, and it like, but yeah, that first song is just him and the drum machine. It is interesting to see it because I never really put it together that they're building a band over the first couple songs. Mm-hmm. Um, partially because of the drum machine, uh, partially because 
some of the band, like the backup singers sing from off stage later on. So you get yeah. backup vocals. So if you're not watching it, you don't know they're not on stage yet. Yeah, exactly. There's so much like movement in this that you just won't even pick up in the audio because it's not connected in that way. It's yeah. not like you don't hear people running or like, or like, oh, that's a far away mic or something. Like it's, yeah. So there's a lot of choreography. Um, and you get a good taste of that on this first track. So it's like an acoustic and electronic drum version of Psycho Killer. It sounds great. And there's this bit much closer to the end of it where there's like kind of bullet sounds going off and he's like, dancing in this erratic fashion or almost looks like he's you know getting shot by bullets and staggering yeah the 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 drum machine i guess does a big like pow and then yeah he kind of like staggers around very cool yeah exactly and again i'd heard it but i didn't realize there was like choreography associated Mm -hmm. you just yeah you uh, because we we just talked about talking heads last week for our listeners and we're like yeah these guys are a bit weird they're a bit kooky they're a bit artistic so having random like big pows go off is like yeah that could be just for the audio. Yeah. Why would there need to be associated dancing? But there is, damn it. And so that's kind of your first big number there. And you're like, okay, cool. Where are they going from here? Um, very slowly, they, they jump into Heaven, which I think is a great track. Yeah, and more of a ballad. Tina Weymouth comes out. Plan her bass. bass guitar. Boom, 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 boom. Uh, there's backup vocals on this one as well from... Uh, off stage. Is there it's one of the two? Yeah. Uh, it is. I assumed um, that was Tina Weymouth. Isn't she singing on this? Says with Lynn Mabry, Mabry okay. providing harmony vocals from backstage. Shit, I was fooled. Yeah, they fooled me again, Alex. <laughs> yeah, these fuckers don't want me to know where the sounds. Oh, no, yeah, they're from. tricky. The tricky bastards. They're tricky. So yeah, Lynn Mabry, I guess we have to talk about her now because she's now being introduced. Yeah. Uh, American singer, got her start in Sly and the Family Stone. She was one of the original brides of Funkenstein, which is a Funkin' Soul girl <laughs> band. Um, great name. She spent time in the 80s as a backing vocalist for Talking Heads, Rita Coolidge, uh, Naomi Amuro, Bette Midler, George Michael. Toured as a backing vocalist for Fleetwood Mac in 1990. In 1991, she did backing vocals for Stevie Nicks. Um, and she's featured in that documentary, 10 Feet from Stardom, about background singers, which I think centered around the uh, background singer for that Rolling Stones song, whose name is escaping me. Oh, for uh, Give, Give Me, me shelter. shelter. Yeah, I can't remember her name off the top of my head. Um, it is Mary Clayton. Yeah. So she's another like big background singer, and here she is singing harmonies. Yeah, and I mean, the backups, the backup, like harmony vocals on this whole thing. Oh are yeah, so good. They're, I mean, the whole band is just on all, firing on all cylinders. Every and, member of this yeah. group, including like this, the non-standard members of Talking Heads. Yeah, because there's non- four like core members, I guess, mm-hmm. and then five other uh, artists playing or singing. Yes. So I mean, it, they, it's a whole nine-piece uh, group by the end. So it's pretty big by the end. Yeah, it becomes massive. And right now we've just got two people on the stage. Yeah, two and a half. Two and a half. One person off stage is helping. Is 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 vocally there? Yes. Um. So this one's a much more simple like composition. It's just the two of them standing there. But we get to see the. What's exciting about this number is we see the stage hands, the stage crew go to work. Yes. They wheel in uh, a drum kit. And you know it's happening. It's about to happen. So we're about to see London. We're about to see France. <laughs> Chris France. 
the drummer for Talking Heads. For Talking Heads. And that's when they, they, they come to thank you for sending me an angel, a song I am only familiar with from this album. Yeah, mostly me too. Uh, I mean, I think it's from more songs about buildings and food, their second album. Um, okay. Yeah. And I know that a little bit, but again, a lot of Talking Heads stuff can feel dense uh, and can be tough to get into just because it's like a bit weird. Yeah, for but sure. I also, the other thing about this is it makes it very accessible. Yeah, um, absolutely. To, in my opinion, anyway, it, it feels that way. Um, and and they have more of the like funk influence at this point compared to earlier. So for this song especially, you can like f- start to feel that, and then for some of the later ones as well. Yeah, uh, we've got like like a marching beat from Chris Francis, like all snare. And then, like, Tina Weymouth just fucking knocking out bass line after bass line. It's just what she does. It's just what, and the crazy thing is, is that this band loves doing the running man dance so much. So much. That that she, and this is where it kind of starts, because you get that marching rhythm. She's doing that while playing the bass, like, flawlessly. Just doing, like, marching in place. They do it so much. They do it so much. It's... (laughs) (laughs) The other thing that happens, we have this new member introduced, Chris France. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. I thought Tina Weymouth got a bit of the short end of the stick only because she's kind of out of focus for the song where she comes in, uh, Heaven. Yeah. And then Chris France comes out and we get a full, like, almost 360 degree rotation around him, just like with the camera on him. Yeah. Like, Here <laughs> like, he Tina, is. Tina. L- look at his Tina? turquoise polo. Uh, but yeah, he gets a whole intro in that way. And they yeah. Play this, yeah, that's their second song. And as they are sort of constructing the stage, so they start to wheel out more stuff. Mm-hmm. And you think Tina Weymouth gets the short end of the stick. Jerry Harrison doesn't <laughs> get a stick at all, man. <laughs> yeah, Jerry Harrison uh, doesn't get much focus in this. No. <laughs> He's just, he like, and it's so strange because two, up until the fourth song, it's almost it almost all feels like one continuous shot. Yeah. Like it feels like we're seeing every moment to moment. I was surprised when I learned it was four different nights they shot this over because, like, especially those first three tracks feel continuous. It it does, and and I mean, it is kind of spliced in. There were a cup. There was one moment I noticed where, like, you could see someone was doing something, and then they right. cut, and they're just not doing it anymore. They're not doing that. Okay, but it's mostly very good. It's yeah, pretty solid. And then it's just like we're wrapping up the third track. Thank you for sending me the angel. Found a job starts. Boom. Smash cut. Jerry Harrison's just on stage. <laughs> I honestly didn't even notice that happen. It was so like, <laughs> it's probably smooth, but it was like so jagged for me. Cause as the song's winding down, I'm like, okay, cool. We're going to see the next guy. Come on. Cause I'm, I'm, you know, I'm picking up on the pattern at this point. <laughs> and he's just he's there. Just, like there. Some of it was because for the early songs, a lot of the camera uh, work is very like tight. Mm-hmm. So I almost wonder if like he, it was just focusing on someone else close up as he was walking on stage and you like heard a cheer or something. I, I don't know. Right. Or, like and maybe it's... I filled that in on my own. Cause I expect yeah. like, of course he's got to walk out. Right. So my brain yeah, is like, of course he walked out on what? stage. How yeah. could that have happened? You can't teleport, but he does not get any of the, like the buildup that like Chris France gets, <laughs> or even the, the minimal, like, you can see her coming out on stage. It's Tina Weymouth. Like, yeah. it's, <laughs> cause there's nothing else on stage. That's right. It's like, wow, a new person. Crazy. 
But that takes us into found a job. I mean, that, that, that's a pretty, it sounds like classic talking heads to me, but that's because I've listened to this album enough Yeah, times. I know. There's definitely some of this album kind of fades together for me. It is, because it's a lot of high-energy tracks, and the the <laughs> style is so, like, focused. Yeah. So, like, tuned in to this, like, talking heads funk. Yeah, so I definitely, that, like, yeah. between, like, found a job and into slippery people, like, it can kind of blend together for me. <laughs> That's true, yeah. Um, a lot of what I ride on it is just the variations in Tina Weymouth's bass lines, which found a job's got a great one. This that I find very cool. Yeah, and the, I mean, it really starts to get some of the like tick, 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 like funky guitar at work as well. Yeah, and this we start wheeling out because um, the next song has synth on it, so we've got to wheel out a synth station. Is this is this the synth station for um, Bernie, or is this the one for? Because we two synth. I stations. thought they both came out at the same time. Okay, they must. Like it's all in one section, I think, and they just both kind of sit there. Because um, yeah, because Jerry Harrison he, he starts playing on a guitar and then he moves into the synth. He kind of moves back and forth between there. Yes. Um, and then there's Bernie Worrell, mm-hmm. who also plays uh keyboards yes and he is of uh parliament funkadelic collective fame so like there's some there's some pretty solid musicians in this group like they that's yeah they got they got the good ones (laughs) so this yeah so on this track we get a bernie whirl and we get our two backing singers in the flesh lynn mabry who we talked about and edna holt yep who is also just kind of a similar like backstory to who uh, to to Lynn Mabry, where she's been a backing vocalist a long time. She's in the Ritchie family, Fonzie, Big Apple Band, allegedly has some of her own hits. She was backing vocals for Miles Davis, Luther Vandross, The Police. She was also in the hit film Sister Act 2, Back in the Habit. Of course. How could I forget? How could you forget? I will tell you this. No, only knowing this from audio, I had no idea it was just those two for the backing vocals. I would have sworn it was like a small group. They got some they're doing lives. a good job. They're, they're doing like, a killer job. They're crushing it, honestly. Backup singers, incredible and so active. They're running in circles. People, they're jumping. Yeah, they're moving, dancing. Dancing. They are moving, dog. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, so they they fucking come out here, give it their all. It's a beauty. Um, it's a cool track. It's slipper people. A little more synth focused. And now we're lucky enough with this A24 re-release. It's based on the home release, which has the full right. track list. There are, I think in some of the original theatrical run, we cut the song Cities. Yeah. Along with another one. So Cities is where we get kind of like a fake out to the full band. We get Steven Scales in here playing just some small hand drums. Yeah, he comes out in front. Yeah, Stephen Scales, uh, pretty much just a session musician. Uh, that said, he's worked with, where is he in my notes here? The B-52's Tom Tom Club, which is Chris France and uh, Tina Weymouth's non-Talking Heads band. Um, Psychedelic Furs, uh, the Bongos, Tina Turner, and others. So he's, he's sessioning out here. Oh, yeah. And he comes here banging some hand drums. You start getting some of that Talking Heads world music vibe. And it's he's gonna bring that a lot because he's got a bigger drum setup that comes in. That's the, like the best. There's like one of the best reveals is that 
they wheel out a massive like like bongo drum set like your non-standard kit drum stuff in a big platform yeah it's great and then he just goes back uh, he also he's like a hype man kind of for a bit of it because he does oh that yeah a bit later on he does a Not bit yet, of hyping though. up he's like Not are yet. you guys ready but yeah right here he's like he's he's playing those hand drums we get a highlight on him but this is like pre to what is like the climax of this building the band story which is burning down the house their biggest hit at this time or yeah their, their and i mean great version hit. of burning down the house oh yeah and here's where you get the band completion this is where alex weir comes out mm-hmm. uh, american guitarist who came up with the brothers johnson he's a session musician he's worked with talking heads and tom tom club and he's worked on some jerry harrison solo albums as well Nice, nice to know they uh, stay in contact. Hell yeah! And he's he's like he's like a funk guitarist through and through. So he brings that funk element. Um, yeah, every single like session musician they bring onto this brings out like some of the best of like Talking Heads like genres they move into world music and funk predominantly. Yeah, it. There, I mean, yeah, such a great group. Yeah, this is a killer. So we got nine people on the stage. We're doing burning down the house. You could have ended the concert here and it would have been a great show. But it's only they're getting warmed up. Yeah, this is the prelude to like doing the rest of the show. And this is like, yeah, so we get I uh, get you get burning down the house. Now everyone's out. And I mean, mm-hmm. the next thing they do run on the spot, run on the spot for Buddy, like a whole song almost. Yeah, and then uh, Burn starts running around the whole stage. Yes. Okay. Do you remember when we had to run around a stage for musical numbers? I'm like wondering how inspired by this that was. Yeah, I guess because this is, uh, you know. So I'm like, there's a decent chance that a a professional choreographer has seen this movie. seen, yeah, stop making sense. (laughs) Anyway, that was in high school. That was years ago, but. But yeah, that's 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 something we've done. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. Do you think he had it timed out, or was he like kind of keeping a like he was running at different speeds each time? Because in this version, we see at least he has to cut mid stage. He does cut across the, the stage. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I feel like if you'd rehearsed it, you could pretty well get a good idea of how long it takes. Yeah, I would. I would think so. Yeah. But. But he does I cut across, so you might have to do that, yeah. but he sort of, like, falls over himself a little bit. Yeah, and is this the song where he's now slicked back to his hair? Has he done that yet? Um, is this the one? I don't think quite yet. No. Because when he does that, he puts the jacket back on, I think? He's not there yet. Yeah, we get, like, a kind of cut to black, I think maybe even after this song, and then, because, you know what it must be? Because he's running so much in this one. And then I'm like, damn, did he slick it back with sweat or did he <laughs> slick it back with like gel that he had to grab? He, um, yeah, cause it, it like goes black and like he like everyone like, uh, does the quick costume change. Yeah. So, um, I think he but does. You- Actually, he must have some, like, gel or something. It doesn't last that long. Yeah, because, like, the just your sweat wouldn't hold it back as yeah, well it as should, it's held work. back. Can't work that well. Anyway, so this ain't no party. This ain't no disco. 
No, this, yeah. this ain't no fooling around. And then he does that thing. This is the one where he like moves his legs around, right? Yes, the, like, this, like we we finally get yeah. some more classic burn dancing. And he's like just moving his knees, which are yeah. together. He kind of like bisects himself with the mic stand and then like moves the legs to one side and the other like a strange metronome. Yeah. <laughs> a strange metronome. He definitely, I mean, you see him move so much in this, but he's very awkward throughout like characteristically yes. awkward but it's it's so wild because he's like dancing yeah it is know? like dancing it somehow plays with the music and it is like compelling in its awkwardness it, you don't feel like bad for him no you feel like you're watching something alien yeah it's like it's great it's inspiring <laughs> it's inspiring i i would love to dance like this man and also run around in circles sometimes. Yeah, it's, how much fun is that? I mean, from what I recall, not that much fun, but it, he makes it look fun. He makes it look fun. Man, looks run makes running look fun. Only people who have ever done that, David Byrne and Mario. And Sonic, maybe. <laughs> maybe Sonic the Hedgehog. Maybe. Um, yeah, so that's a cool number. They're all cool. You can say that about Very all of them. Cool. Hell yeah. Um, the next one. Making flippy yes. floppy. That's where yes. he slicks back his hair. Ah, uh, because he, he makes his hair flippy floppy. Yeah, a little bit. And also um, where he puts his jacket back on. That's right, because one of the, the costume the changes you'll see is him taking the, the suit jacket off and yeah. on. Yeah, but like, they are moving. They are sweating so much. Yeah, like, it's. I'm surprised he could wear that suit jacket as long as he did. Yeah, and, like, he doesn't keep it on that long. Because even just standing on a stage with stage lights is hot. Like, that is a lot. Yeah, like, he comes out at the start, and he's, like, drenched sweat very early on. And that stuff's not even that kinetic compared to some of this later stuff. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. So that's this. And then they also, they're, like, flashing a bunch of words on the uh, behind that was so confusing to me i was trying to figure out why before dinner time or whatever some of its words from the song i think okay um it was like video games yeah lead uh, some uh, of them i don't know (laughs) maybe it's supposed to mean something um yeah the song is making flippy floppy i don't know um the other thing uh, at this point i mean the whole thing like because they kind of construct the stage so at this point it started out looking like rehearsal space, but now they've mm-hmm. not only wheeled out the band, they've also got like a ba- black backdrop. So it yes. feels like a like a full show at this point. Absolutely, because um, there's a number they do, maybe after this one, it might be Swamp, where they just like underlight everyone. Like uh, they're telling ghost stories. Swamp? I want to say that's what a day that was, but okay. like, Swamp's the one where he sings really low. Is it that one? Um, it's either that one or the next one. I like. Yeah. I will admit, the ones that aren't the hits are not like I don't know them as well like yeah. concretely. There's a few that I've like stuck onto but I definitely feel similarly. Swamp happens to be one of the ones that I know fairly well. But yeah, it's quite dark and underlit, yeah. Yeah, so we've moved from like a bizarro rehearsal space to full on like concert production. Yes. And that how exciting we get like in in I think in making fl- or in life during wartime we get red like you said we get these pictures yeah. projected on the back there too these words we're doing things now we're fucking in the mix yeah and I think the next I think what a day that was is the one where they really do the like heavy underlighting yeah I think you're right 
And then and it's he's like, at that point, he's like sweated up again. He's got his, his jacket might be gone. Mm-hmm. And like, it's just like a close up on his face for maybe a little bit too long, honestly. But I do think there's, especially because the, the, they do the wide shots and you see these massive silhouettes they're projecting. And I'm like, that's very cool. I want to see, yeah. I want to see more of that. But it's mostly just close ups on faces and mostly David's burn, David Burns face at that. Cool yeah. looking, but I feel like maybe uh, missing out a bit. Yeah, that one and a, like a once in a lifetime is guilty of a, just maybe a little too much time on David Byrne. <laughs> but yeah. we go into like a back to back hit section here after what a day that was. Yeah. I mean, I and yeah, we kind of skipped over Swamp, but I do like the look of that compared to they kind of because they all move around a lot. Like mm-hmm. uh, life during wartime, it's you see like the full sort of ensemble with like the three or four of them in front, and then a bunch, you know a couple of silhouettes in the back. Yeah, um, yeah. versus Swamp where like it's you know Tina Weymouth moves to this like synth based thing and like oh, there are more right. people in the back and it's more like of a spotlight on David Byrne and you kind of get a cool like the background's red they're all like black silhouettes and he's kind of in his like gray suit and he's lit up mm-hmm. so you get that like black red and gray contrast very cool yeah uh, yeah it's, yeah, it's a very visually compelling number, like a lot of this stuff is. But yeah, Swamp is definitely worth talking about. He's got some great vocal performances on this, a lot of random noises. <laughs> and it's, it's a weird song. Like, he sings this lower than most other songs. He kind of growls it almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very cool. Um, to then bring it to uh, the next ones we're talking about here, this must be the place, and once in a lifetime. Yeah, one I that we've both- discussed before. This must be the yeah. place. This must be the place. I felt both of these numbers were very inspired by the music videos that I, I would imagine preceded this concert. Because that with, makes sense. With these are kind of like hits yeah. off the album. Hits off the album. So this must be the place they do this like projector kind of style photographs on the yeah. background. Which has that, that's like literally what they do in the music video is they're in a basement yeah. looking at like slideshows. Yeah, and it's like they move in closer. So it's everyone kind of gathered around the, this lamp. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that lamp has such a warm light. It has like, it's a very great physical representation of how this song sounds, which is this very warm, nostalgic feeling. Yeah, and just the, the, the closeness of it. Mm-hmm. You get them all close together. You've got the backing vocals right alongside David Byrne. It's a very beautiful version of this song. It's. Uh, I mean, yeah. Well, you can listen to our whole episode on it, but this one, uh, uh, it's it's oh, great. It's great. Like and that Prophet Five sound. The tick, tick, yeah. tick, 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 everything. The backup singers. Oh my gosh! And it's cool because you do get to see because like it's Tina Weymouth playing the guitar because she does that for this version and right. like. People doing the instruments they're not usually doing, so that's also very cool to see them do that live. Yeah, because like the the band is are kind of like multi instrumentalists, I think, when it comes to mm-hmm. recording. But then they're sort of credited as particular. Right, um, they stick to their certain and, roles. And live, I think they do a lot too. But this is where you see them move around, and we saw her playing that uh, keyboard before. As yeah, well, that so. keyboard for some synth bass. So yeah, it's cool to see them move about the stage they've constructed and pull out instruments you're maybe not expecting to see. Yeah. And then for David Byrne weirdo dancing, we get this like oddly charming <laughs> dance with the with the lamp. Yeah, with the lamp, which doesn't I kind of thought cuz I've heard him reference this before. You know, he talks about mm-hmm. how like this is the only 
like earnest love song he ever wrote and then he sang yeah. it to a lamp he's not really singing to the lamp to the lamp uh per se it's more like singing in the lamp's light uh but then yeah. he does kind of dance with it but it's also it doesn't look like he's slow dancing with a lamp yeah, yeah it's not like a hand in the up. beast <laughs> yeah he's not doing a, a beauty in the beast like a parody or something and he does this almost like childlike game of bouncing the lamp back and forth and catching yeah. it like just before it falls too much. Yeah, I feel like obviously they have four nights to work with, but I wonder if you mm-hmm. ever dropped the lamp because I would have so I would have fucked it up once. And they'd be like, "We're not gonna do the lamp bit." I'd be like, "Oh, <laughs> <laughs> like we can't afford the bulbs. It's too yeah, expensive. It's too expensive. There's broken glass on stage now." I'm like, "But I like the lamp bit." <laughs> uh, yeah, you also get some cool. I don't know exactly how they would have done this. But later mm-hmm. on in the song, there's like, like little circles on the, in the shot, like yeah, f- lens flares almost, but like lens flares, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe that's just what it is, just like light shining on it. But it's very cool. It feels very like ethereal. Yeah, they they strike a very great mood with this song, and of course, since I know this one, maybe it hits a little harder for me, but. But then I also found Once in a Lifetime to be possibly the most boring song on this album. Once in a Lifetime? Because it is just like, like his performance is basically the music video. Right. We focus on him for it. So visually, I'm not getting anything like new or interesting. That's and true. Then, and it's another one that's very like underlit and focused on him, which is kind of very similar to uh, the one we just talked about, which is what a day that was. What a day that was. Or, yeah. 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 And so, yeah, you get like kind of a, a lighting shot you've already gotten. You get a performance that if you're familiar with their work and you've seen the music video, you already know this performance. And then like musically, like I don't know if it live brought anything new or interesting out of it. I think I agree. Uh, not that I hadn't really thought of it, but it's of all the songs on this. Most of them, I will go to the Stop Making Sense version first, but Once in a mm-hmm. Lifetime is probably the one where that is not true. Yeah, I almost think, like, yeah, I would, I would deliberately pick the album version over this. Not to say that this is even a bad performance. No, I mean, it's still, I mean, I love the whole thing. It was, uh, yeah. But this was definitely a moment that was a little less engaging. Yeah, I was definitely just like, okay, yeah, you do have to do Once in a Lifetime. But, like, like he just kind of puts his jacket on and he's got some glasses now and i mean he's doing the preacher thing of course yeah um but he's not (laughs) swimming through weird special effects no yeah like the special effects in the video do a lot and then i so much of it is focused on him that i like my mind wanders when the camera does and i'm like what's everyone else doing yeah still it's once a lifetime it's a great track you got to play it I'm glad it's part of the ensemble here. We move to Big Business slash I Zimbra. Yeah, this one. Let me see if I remember this one. Yeah, um, I've got to kind of like play a bit of it to see if I remember. <laughs> I know I Zimbra, but I don't know Big Business. Oh, I Zimbra, my bad. Well, I see. I've heard people say I Zimbra, but in the song they say I Zimbra. So like, well, that would be your tell there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like that makes the most sense. I'm trying to remember this version. This is one where they dance around on stage a lot. Yeah. Yeah, even just hearing that rhythm section, you can tell this is like a high energy. We're getting some running man work. Oh, yeah. 
This one feels a little more like traditional band playing on a stage together. Yeah, it does feel like we get into a bit more of that, like, here's a classic concert number. And then even, I mean, you get a little more pulling out um, over the audience and you get to see some heads. Partially mm-hmm. because um, the way the floor is lit, it's like kind of like a backlight on the band. Right. Um, so it's, again, lit from below, but it's behind now. So they're kind of in silhouette. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is like a big number to have because like, it's, I mean, it's two numbers put together Yeah. On, on this album anyhow. So it's like, it's a big like, here's some big instrumental moments. This is one to really tuck into the music, tuck into some dancing. Get back out of like the popular two tracks we just did and get into some weirdness. Yeah. Get Zimbra in there. Why not? Yeah. Um, but that's not the only thing they kind of sneak in here. Because mm-hmm. uh, the next number is Genius of Love. Right. Which is, of course, Tom Tom Club. Oh, of course, the Tom Tom Club. This is, and the vibe on Genius of Love versus like it, like it stands out from Talking Head songs. It's very clearly different. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, until I like glommed on at the end where he's like, after I say this, we're going to stop being the Tom Tom Club. I was like, oh, this is actually like a different group they're being right yeah, now. Yeah, it's like their spinoff group. So really, they're known for like two songs, which is right. this, Genius of Love, and then there's like wordy rapping hood or something where Tina Weymouth raps. Oh, okay. It, it was definitely a weird in that sense, too, because she also kind of raps on this. True. And she's working with people of color, and I'm like, are they okay with this? <laughs> yeah, it's also it's like the early days of rap mm-hmm. at all, like at all. Yeah, we're 1983 know? here, like so end of 1983. It's kind of like it's kind of ahead of its time in a weird way. In a um, weird way. Yeah, it is like just a bit on the cutting edge. Um, and it's also, I mean, the that that lick. I mean, it's in a a current radio hit i don't know the name of it but you know the artist uh i'd have to look it up let me let me say uh genius of love interpolation because it's like like current modern hit song that is like i don't know if it's charting right now but like i've heard it recently you've heard it okay uses a sample i mean all kinds of places uh where is it where is it it's in a Paramore song, apparently. Oh, or maybe a remix. Oh my gosh, what is the song? I don't know, but it's been used in all kinds of songs as a sample. As a sample. One of the most sampled rhythm tracks of the 1980s, it yeah. says. Okay, yeah, I'm seeing Genius Rap in 1981, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Fives, it's nasty. And you know what? I like As soon as I heard it come in, I was like, I know this. Yeah. But I think oh, the I also big energy, big big energy. That's big, big energy. Okay, it's a, it's a, it's a song from 2021. Relatively current, current Relatively enough that I current. Uh, you would hear that on the radio. Uh, still, still listen to it occasionally, and it's still on potentially on the radio. Uh, I see that by Lado. Yeah, because I think you say big big energy, but like you mean big dick energy. I think is the oh, like big big. It energy. fits. I don't know. I, I, which I, to the point where I thought that that might be like a clean version I was hearing, but I'm not sure. Anyway, it uses that. Right. Um, Lotto told Billboard that in the lyrics she took the masculine, trendy, big dick energy quote from social media and made it a concept that all genders can have and take it deeper than just a sexual aspect. Just big, big energy. All right, yeah. cool. 
Ooh, way to go, um, so that's the song uh, that is currently sampling this, but it's sampled all over the place. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, they have a, an interesting energy in this one. Love uh, Tina Weymouth's like gremlin dancing. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Where, which is just basically hunkering down and like shooting your knees out to the side. And <laughs> Yeah, it's... <laughs> great she's got some weirdo moves and of course the vocal performance on this i'm gonna have some fun yeah it's very like soft this is more in the energy of b-52s and that these voices are cartoonish (laughs) yeah i believe that (laughs) that makes sense um different feel but they got the whole like backup band out there with them so yeah it's still fun but definitely a different feeling from the rest of it yeah and like chris france doing these weird like almost hype man like yeah. toasting style vocals yeah it's definitely like especially cutting from what was like a classic big like instrumentation like two song or put together to cut to what is like bizarro 80s novelty track <laughs> it is definitely weird and hearing it on um the album i didn't mm-hmm. at first realize the connection right like i didn't know who tom tom mm-hmm. club were so i was like why did right. they just bring out this other group like what what's the like, point yeah what kind of concert is this that i guess the opening act is back like what the fuck's going yeah, on yeah i thought it was so weird and i had also i mean to reference another um similar well like live recording slash concert film uh mm-hmm. recently heard ro- the rolling stones rock and roll circus right uh, which has a ton of other groups in it uh, so I thought maybe it was something okay. like that, but I was like, who the fuck are Tom Tom Club? <laughs> never heard of him in my life. That's not life. Jethro Tull and or the Dirty Mac, who yeah. were only on one, only had one performance, which was in the Rolling Stones Rock and Roll Circus. Hey, Jethro Tull and Dirty Mac. <laughs> and the Who were there. Anyway. Um, so, yeah. Genius of Love. Fun song. <laughs> Great. And then we come to what is basically like the song of this album in some ways. It's where the Because it's where the title of, comes from. It's where the title comes from. It's and where the big suit comes it's in. It's where the big suit comes out. Uh what's fun is so Genius of Love, I don't know the lyrics exactly, but she talks about her boyfriend a lot. Yeah. And then, then we play the girlfriend we play the boyfriend song, and then we play the girlfriend song. <laughs> That's right, back to back. And of course, a song without David Byrne in it is great time for him to put on his fucking yeah. neck suit. <laughs> Probably took the whole time. <laughs> Probably. Um, here's a quote. I believe this is from, so there's a lot we got to talk. We got to talk about this big suit. Yeah, let's talk about the big suit. So David Byrne says, I was in Japan in between tours and I was checking out traditional Japanese theater, Kabuki, no Bunraku. And I was wondering what to wear on our upcoming tour. A fashion designer friend uh, by the name of Jurgen Lell said in his typically droll matter, well, David, everything is bigger on stage. He was referring to gestures and all that, but I applied the idea to a businessman suit. Yeah, and it's fun that it's just like an evolution of what he was wearing before. Yeah, that it is just a bigger version of the same thing he was wearing. So he he kind of like elaborates on the visual effect he's looking for. He says, I wanted my head to appear smaller. And the easiest way to do that was to make my body bigger because music is very physical and often the body understands it before the head. Um, And then here, one more quote just on the the construction of it the actual suit hangs barely touches your body it's got these giant webbed shoulder pads and a webbed girdle that you wear around your waist and pads inside that give you incredibly wide hips and no butt so when you're facing sideways you look normal and when you turn to face the front you're incredibly wide most of the suit isn't even touching you it's just hanging from the scaffolding yeah 
That's, I mean, it's such a funny look. It's great. Yeah, so he's like basically wearing a birdcage that has a yeah, suit over it. A suit top draped it. over it. Yeah. And like he's dancing and it's just like flopping everywhere. Yeah. Yes, he, he does make the most of this. Now, like the question is, and this is apparently a quote he gave to a magazine. This will be the inscription on my tombstone. Here lies the body of David Byrne. Why the big suit? <laughs> Why the big suit? Well, I mean, visuals, man. There's a few, yeah. like, the beginning of this song, he comes out, and he's, like, again, front lit from below, so you get, like, yes. a silhouette of just this, like, massive suit, and you don't quite register what's going on at first, because yeah, it's just a, a shadow. Like, you can kind of see him, but he's in the background, and then he walks out, and it's just, like, huge. <laughs> yeah. And it's, what a big suit, what a strange thing, and then, what a ripper song to do it for, too. This, ah, this song rules so much. <laughs> it's so fucking good, dude. <laughs> like... I, I don't even know the album version, like, at all, but this... No, I, you don't need to. Absolutely. Like, this is incredible. I'm like... And and part of the reason I listened to it so much back in the day, other than it being great, was, like, I just love the idea of, like, songs that have the album title in them. Yes. Which you don't normally get in live albums. No, you certainly don't. Um, so it's great. Yeah. It's great. It's so good. Yeah. And then, like, it becomes- And I didn't know it was the Big Suit song until now. No! And that that just, yeah, it makes everything, like, it's like the stars aligning. You've got this beer, big question, the big suit. You're like, why is he wearing that? And then the big, like, climax or, like, the selling point of the song is him screaming, stop making sense, making yes. sense. And it's like, like yes, I, yeah. yes. <laughs> I guess I don't need to know why the suit is big. It doesn't have to make sense. It doesn't sense. have to make sense. Oh, and, like, him walking out of the start, everyone's doing this, like, boom. Like screaming and he's just like kind of bopping his head. I'm like, yes, yes. I would do that in an oversized suit. Oh my god. Absolutely. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> so good, dude. Um great song. Just yeah, good synth, good use of cowbell on this. Um great harmonies from our backing vocalists. What can you say? Just check it out, man. So good. Just check it out. If nothing else, and like, like not to spoil my final verdict, but this is a movie worth seeing. But like, <laughs> yeah. if nothing else, check out Girlfriend is Better. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff here, man. And here's where we, uh, following this song, is where Cover Me gets to justify talking about this song. Hell yeah. It's Take Me to the River, baby. Take which me is to the river. river. Which is a Al Green song originally, Reverend Al Green. Yeah. Um, um yeah very cool i mean this is also the point where we get a lot more like pulling the camera out and seeing the audience mm-hmm. which i We're thought starting was cool. to wind down yeah yeah it's like- but it's also i mean to me because i have already listened to girlfriend is better a lot i love it <laughs> this was kind of the sleeper hit for me because when we got to this i was like oh damn i should listen to this song more why don't i because oh yeah just, it's got i mean it's always just the energy they bring and like just Everything is incredible. But like you see this and it goes for a long time. Uh the yes. segment in the movie is I think longer than the album. Like I'm comparing them and the movie goes on for like eight minutes. Yeah. But on I the think album you're it's right. like five and a half. Um because they like extend it in and just like sing the Take Me to the River like outro for a long time. Take me to and the it, river. Yeah. It's yeah. just a nice funky bass it's yeah, you can let that ride a long time, and it's oh, when you get okay. your hype man here too. That's right. 
uh what's his name uh, uh steven scales steven scales comes out he's the cowbell you mentioned the cowbell yes and yeah it's great hell yeah <laughs> david Byrne makes just bird noises yeah this is like on these last two tracks he really just like uh, starts doing weird vocalizations he, he puts starts on a red hat loose. don't understand that no He's trying to Good figure out Alex. if that was a reference to like so, I mean, obviously, we're all familiar with, with the 2016 uh, Donald Trump election. Oh, of uh, course, and he had yeah. red hats, right? Make America yes. great again. But Is that I'm what pretty- Donald Trump was after? He was like, you know, like, stop making sense. <laughs> no, in 1980. <laughs> it's a great concert film. <laughs> Ronald Reagan had, a, okay. make America, had Make America Great hats, and they were red. Oh, so he's referencing okay. those, I'm pretty that. sure. So I was like, is it that? But it's just a red hat. I don't know why he puts the hat on. That's like, I cannot believe Republicans have done the Domino's Pizza campaign for presidency. Where yeah, they're like, for decades. Our pizza's bad, but it could be good now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was terrible. But. We're going to make it uh, good. <laughs> yeah, so he wears the hat for a while. Don't know why. Yeah, interesting. I did I did wonder about it, because I was like, red hat, and it is like a baseball cap. And I was like, but there's no way you could have known. I didn't realize that was a Reagan thing. I don't think that's the reference. I have no yeah, idea. I don't know, because yeah, I think there was still a time when you could wear just a red baseball cap. Yeah. But also, at but, the time, it was like a popular, like it would have potentially been a, seen as positive, because people liked Ronald Liked Reagan? Reagan? The actor? The actor? <laughs> uh, anyway, I don't know what's going on, but it's a really ripping version of the song. Yeah. Uh, and you start to see the actual audience. And... Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we, like, fully cut loose in Cross-Eyed and Painless. Yeah, he, like, introduces the band. Maybe that's the other thing they cut out, because he says all the band members' names. Uh, yeah, and the stage crew he brings out. Is that, or is that at right this at the point, end? Or is that, I think oh, that's okay, after right. he does, yeah, then, yeah, right, you're right. At the end of the final thing, he brings out the stage group. But I like that. I did like the, the respect he gave to every member of the band. And yeah. he's like, this is his person. We all get to cheer for everyone. Love that. It's great stuff. Uh, this track is very cool. There's a point where Alex Weir in this version is doing like some, some like guitar shredding. Oh my gosh, yes. Straight up, you watch him and he is just running his hand straight up and down the neck like he's jacking that thing off <laughs> yeah. and like strumming it's like yeah. how a kid thinks you play guitar and it works incredibly and it just works <laughs> yeah. he's he's just like yeah obviously this is how you do it and then you figured it out and he did yeah it's great um there's a lot of guitar work from uh from david byrne here as well yeah a very cool guitar that i don't know what it is but it's like kind of like brown with like gold Oh yeah, like a sunburst kind of like style thing. Or, yeah, really like that guitar. I'm gonna figure out what it's called. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is it this the be... one where he fucks around with the pedals too? Yeah, that's another like. How does this still sound good? Because he's like w- like strumming with one hand and then fiddling with the other, and the sounds coming out still rock. And I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> practice so much I can, practice. I can have three hands on the guitar and not make anything sound that good. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's great. Yeah, phenomenal ending track. You get your your shots of people in the audience. There's a kid with a plush unicorn. That was my big takeaway. It's like a child. And he's got a toy. A child. A child. Uh, a child. <laughs> um, to reference an older, older meme. Yeah, an old meme. Great meme though. Yeah, and that's the last song. That's the last song. That takes us right out. We get to see the stage crew. They get their applause. 
and the credits Ooh. start up and it plays like the the drums from uh psycho killer yeah for like basically the whole time yeah and then you get to look at the credits and see that the big suit was built yeah <laughs> you're like what the hell <sighs> and honestly yeah it was it was just a great time yeah, I had so much fun. I think seeing the theater kicked ass too. Like the sound yeah, was so good in there. The theater, the sound was cool. It was interesting. I'm curious what your overall experience was because I do feel like for me, like theater etiquette versus rock and roll show etiquette are mm. sometimes at odds. Oh my God. I, every song that ended, I had to fight my hands. I was like, don't clap, don't clap. Don't yeah, clap. and some people like, did clap and cheer in, in my theater okay. anyway. Like a little bit. They, I, I, we were talking about this before. The median mm-hmm. age of attendees, certainly for me, was higher. I was below median age, which is becoming less and less um, common. Common, for sure. Uh, as I get older. As you get older, it's just how it works. But yeah, yeah, it was older audience here for sure. There was a couple people who were, I think, younger than me, kind of like, you know, hipster, like 20-year-olds sure, to sure. teenagers. But yeah, a lot of like geriatrics, a lot of white <laughs> hair, a lot of canes. Yeah, and one person I talked to said like, oh, well, I didn't talk to a lot of people, but like they just kind of turned around and were like, oh, you, you younger people are into this, you know? Um, mentioned that they had like gone on some early date uh, with their spouse to to the, yes. see this like in the in the eighties, yeah, that's uh, crazy. Yeah, and I don't know. It, well, the one thing is like I, I I like the idea of seeing concert movies in a theater. Mm-hmm. It would be interesting if we like if there was like a dance floor, especially for something yeah. like this. You know, if they cleared a space. Uh, and it'd be more like, I mean, I'm thinking like Rocky Horror Picture Show where people like get up and dance kind dance of. Dance and like throw things and yeah. scream and holler. So yeah. like you could pretend it's a real show. And I mean, it's kind of a good time to talk about this because there's a, a Taylor Swift's concert film in theaters right now. That's right. Eras, um, which is like three hours. Yeah. And with, yeah, that's like a Springsteen concert. Yeah. Or a Guns N' Roses concert as it turns out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Who'd have thought? Um, Not me, dog. <laughs> it shouldn't take that long to play five songs, but yeah. But supposedly people are like, "Oh, we're gonna go. We're gonna treat it like the real thing. Like it's an actual like in-person concert, and like cheer and and dance around and stuff." And, dan- and, and why wouldn't you with Taylor it, Swift tickets yeah. costing so much? Yeah, it seems like a good um, alternative. I don't know that that's the direction we're heading in, but I think it would be really cool if we filmed more concerts and showed them. That said, I feel like maybe we've tried that before, and that's where you get the less impressive ones from, because if everyone's doing it, yeah. you know, you get the... To, like, film a concert yeah. that is a stage show, like what what Talking Heads did here, what Taylor yeah. Swift has clearly done just from the trailers I've seen, like, yeah. it's massive, versus just, like, and I know Gorillaz has live-streamed some of their, like, festival performances and stuff, which is cool, and you get to hear some of their live stuff, but then it's, like... There is, I do find it lacking between like actually being there, right? It's just like, yeah, and it's obviously different, kick. but you know, you're paying less, and it would be better, like a step up, if yeah. if people were moving around, and if it's in like a yeah, it's a theater, a group setting, rather than you're like sitting at home. Like yeah, I just a YouTube I, video I feel like yourself. we need to like establish a. Well, that sucks too. I, I say establish a. Um, 
like rule set for this is a theater, but it's we're you know it, we're not watching a movie, we're watching a, a, a concert, right? Movie. And we need to uh, loosen our like social restrictions for which, these types of films. And supposedly, like um, in India, particularly mm-hmm. for like Bollywood type films, not just Bollywood films, Indian films that have. Right that tend to be musical, it's more common for people to cheer in theaters and, and be noisier and maybe, I don't know, sing okay. and dance along, but, um, like, it's less, there's less of, like, this rigid, like, you are demonized for speaking in the theater. And right. I get that for most movies, honestly. I agree. Oh, yeah. Um, but, like, for this kind of thing, I feel like you could, you could move around a bit. Even if you want to watch it and see the visuals, you could still, like, bop around a little. Yeah, and, like, some of these tracks are, like, yeah, you get the idea of the visuals, and then you can bop around. Like, it's... You don't need to be glued to the screen. You're not going to miss key Especially details. Especially for some of the longer ones, where it's like, okay, we're, yeah. still, we're still doing this. We're still... It's the same thing. Okay, yeah. like, all right. I can do my own thing then. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm for this movement, cool. Alex. Um, That's a great idea. I just don't... I don't know what would start that maybe maybe taylor swift's eras uh i don't Damn. know we'll see what the impact ends up being well they're re-releasing the last waltz another famous concert film yeah i mean i would see that for sure yeah so maybe this will we'll learn to waltz just before it comes out and we'll we'll get in there that's a pretty long one too <laughs> well we'll waltz the whole damn time <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know how long the movie is actually i think for the, the last albums, ones you yeah. should bring in a full thanksgiving dinner yeah, that's probably oh yeah great context to see that one under absolutely uh, if i'm not eating turkey and also dancing what yeah. is the point what is the point but yeah dance at concert films get the movement going people I yeah think that i think it'd be very takeaway. cool i think that's awesome especially for some of these no longer existing groups or just really expensive stuff you know yeah so a movie th- a ticket to see a movie in a theater is way less expensive than going to a concert oh, yeah infinitely. so it, it opens it up to more people it's great absolutely yeah it's a great thing yeah speaking of like bands who are not together and rarely together it was a weird fun fact for this one so they premiered this re-release of stop making sense at the 2023 toronto international film festival which was followed by a q a hosted by spike lee with david Bernstein away with chris france and jerry harrison mm-hmm. the group's first reunion since the rock and roll hall of fame induction in 2002 2002 yeah i mean I, it's fine that they're like I'm not clamoring for uh, a yeah, I'm not reunion album for, or anything. Like, yeah, anything like that. And they all seem happy to be doing their own thing. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, they don't like need to go back to the Talking Heads uh, well. And I think they created a lot of great stuff as Talking Heads. For sure. Uh, but it's interesting to think of like the offbeat reasons that bands that uh, broke up come together again. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like, well, and I then you're like, they didn't Q&A do anything session. except for this one thing, like at Comic Con. You're like, oh, what? <laughs> <You're> like, huh? <laughs> okay, it is weird to see, like, yeah, bands who were so successful together, and like, I mean, two of the band members are are still married. It's yeah. and obviously they're still with each other. But it's like to have those people not see each other unless obligated by a random Q and A session. <laughs> yeah, like crazy. Uh, or Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction. Yeah, they're like, well, I guess we gotta fucking knock out the classics real quick. Here we go. <laughs> um, unreal. Let's do a little, a quick cover me breakdown here. What's sure. your best, worst, and and weirdest tracks on this, Alex? <sighs> For you, I think I'll, I'll start us off. Worst yeah. in not not to any faults. Once in a lifetime. Yeah, it was a bit lacking, uh, in, in the ways we discussed. Uh, mm-hmm. In that is 
not that it's not good, just that it's not necessarily elevated from its from its album version. Yeah. Uh, compared to the rest of them. Which when, yeah, so, so much of this album does elevate, and you're like, well, that seems impossible, but it does. I would say, again, like, I liked the whole thing, but probably the bit for me mm-hmm. that I'm like, what part don't I remember that, like, kind of dragged a bit? Um, I don't know. I just I like all these songs. Mm-hmm. I'm like, let me see. Is this the one? I feel like Cities is a little less strong, and that's maybe why they would have taken it out. Uh, yeah, I could agree with that, and especially in terms of the like building the band like plot yeah. line that's going on, it seems like sort of a half step rather than the full step from Slippery People to Burning Down the House. Yeah, and I'm thinking like going from Slippery People into Burning Down the House feels very strong, but when you pull mm-hmm. them apart and six cities in the middle, it loses, not that it loses momentum. I'm just, it just kind of like takes away from the yeah. feels the like client. we should have got there already, but we're just it taking cuts longer. up one step into two small steps and it makes it less impactful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I could see that. But again, yeah, for just, that reason. the whole thing was great. Yeah. Um, but to flip it, Alex, what's the best track on this? Oh man. I Difficult mean, for another reason, but yeah. There's so many, like uh, we already gushed about girlfriend is better. Um, yeah, that's really strong one. I love the this must be the place on this yeah. so much as well. Uh, yeah, it's beautiful. I just think oh, they're just so good. They're so I mean, good. I even love just heaven. I think is an incredible one. Yeah, it's with those backup vocals. Yeah, I'm gonna give it to girlfriend is better. I have the yeah. most history with that one, and it's just, I got a lot of history with it, and I think yeah. it does stand out like. Both culturally and like like it, like we said, it's the kind of the centerpiece of this. Yeah, show, weirdly, like, because it's not weirdly. really their hit, as far as I can tell. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it doesn't go on to have a life after this as like the new no. hit talking head song is Girlfriend is Better. No. It just exists in this moment on this album as this like focal point. Yeah, it is off of um Speaking in Tongues, so it was like a recent one. So like okay, yeah. Um yeah. It's great. But yeah, I agree. Absolute best track. Um, uh, what's the weirdest one, though, Alex? On there's a, tra- a reason I put it on a, a mix CD albums. for you. <laughs> Hell yeah. Ago. What's the weirdest one? I mean, it's probably Genius of Love, right? I think, yeah, that's the easy and <laughs> obvious choice. I think it is weird. I think, and even saying that, it's not like it shouldn't be there. I think it serves no. a great purpose. But <laughs> it's so fucking weird, dude. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, just because they're there's just a bunch of weirdos. I mean, Talking Heads as a group. Yeah. David Byrne gets a lot of the spotlight for obvious reasons. He's a front man. That's how we do bands, right? That's how it. Yeah, that's how we understand the structure. But like, there's a reason they came front. together and and created this great music, right? Like they're all yeah. a bunch of weirdos. Exactly. They just express it in different ways. And then when the like Weymouth, um, France side of things gets their opportunity to let that out, you definitely see it. <laughs> Yeah, it's like equally, if not somehow more weird, just by being yeah. not talking heads. Quick, it's like do a the new gremlin structure. dance. Oh, oh, oh. You're, like, oh, oh. you're like, what the hell? You're like, oh, this is so catchy. Yeah, Let's incredibly catchy. For decades, Beloved by rappers for for sampling. What a piece. Yeah. But that does it for our uh, our review or our our breakdown of Stop Making Sense. If you've got similar, different opinions, you want to talk to us about. I don't know, other 
concert films that you like. Tell us about concert films you enjoy because like we kind of broke it down. It's it's this one. It's the David Bowie, Hammond Smith, Odeon. It's the Last Waltz and Rock and Roll Circus. Like those are the big ones I can think of. Yeah, and Hell Freezes Over on uh, from like two thousand. <laughs> uh, there's some Rush ones. There's some uh, some Pink Floyd ones. Oh yeah. Um, I'm looking at like a like a uh, list. A list of them. I didn't. Re- I forgot David Byrne did one in 2020. Oh, that's right. He had a recent one. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I forgot about that too. And uh, but a lot of these I have not seen. There's a Beyonce one from a couple years back. Uh, I think this is. Oh, it's not. Yeah. Despite them being, I think, like a fairly regularly produced product, I am very not familiar with concert films on the whole. Yeah, it would be interesting to see if if theaters are willing to put them on and promote them if mm-hmm. people would go because there's talk about theaters dying or whatever people right. not going to theaters but if they could do events like this i wonder i wonder i don't know yeah and maybe it takes a, a taylor swift level uh, of fame to get there and so that's not really attainable for the most part but i don't maybe. know maybe but maybe taylor swift might just like kickstart a bunch of a littler ones right yeah oh, well, there is money in this. We're going to do some concert films now, and we're going to try and make a this work. It would be really interesting if that happened. I don't know if it, if it can, but it would be cool. Yeah, I don't know. Get, get Martin Scorsese to do another one. Fuck it, he's still yeah. around. <laughs> See who he'll team up with. Yeah, let's figure Jones out what... Brothers. Yeah, I'll be like, this is what I, this has always been my vision. When I did the last waltz. <laughs> this is what I really wanted. This is what I really want. He's 80 years old. What music serve- does he even listen to? <laughs> we'll be serving turkey dinner at this Jonas <laughs> Brothers concert. Only like, thanks. It was Scorsese shows. the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. That just uh, likes turkey. He just likes turkey. That does it though, guys. So tell us about concert films you like, which ones we should maybe check out. Um, and if you're going to dance in the theater sometime in the future, let us know. Uh, that does it for today's episode of Cover Me. Uh, be sure to rate and review us. We're on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. We're not on Stitcher anymore. They don't exist. I don't know why I've gone back <laughs> to my old ad copy in my head here. Let me try this again. Rate and review us. We are on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, uh, YouTube Music, Podbean, Podcast Addict. Um, fucking Zipper is probably the name of a podcast service. We're on that, too. We're on your favorite podcasting app. Uh, tell your friends, family, neighbors, loved ones about us. What you can do is you can lip sync yourself doing an episode of Cover Me and launch it as a concert film. <laughs> lip sync. Yeah, do a lip sync project and see where that gets you. See if people will watch it. Uh, that's what you can do for us. You can talk to us on the app formerly known as Twitter. Hashtag CoverMePod at Jake the Cressy at some Alex Wise Guy. Talk to us there. You can also email us at CoverMePod at gmail.com. And that does it for today's episode of Cover Me. And as we always say on Cover Me, stop making Cover Me. <laughs>